You are listening to Episode 9 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello everyone, this is Chris Fisher welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. In this episode of Stoicism on Fire, we're going to be discussing the spiritual exercise known as the Discipline of Ascent. Now, this is a follow-on from episode number eight, which covered the actual theory of the discipline of ascent. So if you have not already listened to episode eight, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that before proceeding with this podcast. It's a necessary piece of understanding some of the terminology that I'll be using here. Before we move on, I want to go back and do a quick review of last week. I want to review some of the terminology that we used then that we'll be using again this week. First, To assent to something means to agree with it. As Stoics, we assent to or we agree with the impressions of real things and events in the world, or the mental constructs, what we would otherwise call concepts, which are creations of the mind that accurately represent or relate to things and events in the real world. For the Stoic practitioner, the focus on assent has little to do with the accuracy of perceptions presented to our rational faculty. As we discussed last week, we can trust our perceptions. We need to do so in order to practice Stoicism. Our sense perceptions are remarkably accurate to the degree that is necessary for our well-being. Therefore, absent any abnormalities affecting our senses or our brain, it is reasonable to trust our perceptions of external things and events. Certainly, our senses have limitations and they can be fooled occasionally. Nevertheless, That is not the primary problem facing the Stoic practitioner. The cognitive errors that cause us psychological angst are the result of our value judgments that we attach to those sense perceptions that are pressed upon us by external things and events. The sense perception of an angry driver who is screaming and gesturing at us does not harm us. However, when we assent to the combination of that bare impression with a value judgment, such as that driver is a rude, obnoxious, bad human being and is a threat to me, then we create that psychological distress. As Pierre Haydot points out, an objective or adequate representation is one which corresponds exactly to reality, which is to say that it engenders within us an inner discourse which is nothing other than the pure and simple description of an event without the addition of any subjective value judgment. Let's talk about a rude driver. Imagine for a minute that you're driving to work one morning when another driver cuts you off in rush hour traffic. The sense impression of the car and an instantaneous, almost unconscious value judgment that you are in danger are delivered to your rational faculty, to your brain. You quickly assent to that impression of immediate danger and you respond appropriately by applying the brakes to avoid a collision with the other car. In this scenario, your sympathetic nervous system will engage to deal with the immediate physical danger. Your heart rate will increase. Your blood pressure will rise. Your vision will likely narrow as you focus on the source of this perceived and immediate danger. And blood flow may be restricted to your brain as it is transferred to limbs for that fight-or-flight response that we are all familiar with. In Stoicism, this is called a first movement, and it is not a full emotion. It is not emotion because you didn't have time to assent to the value judgment. Your senses were overwhelmed by a sense of immediate danger, and you reacted 
It is no different than the startle response that occurs when someone or something jumps out of a shadow at you. However, now that the immediate danger has passed, it is likely that your rational faculty will turn to the impression of the vehicle's driver. Now an almost involuntary and seemingly unconscious value judgment may be attached to the impression of that driver. That value judgment may be something like inconsiderate, a-hole, jerk, moron. If you assent to that impression, an emotion arises from that value judgment that may inspire you to communicate your annoyance with the other driver by honking your horn or displaying the universal single-fingered sign of displeasure. If the emotion of this judgment overwhelms you, it is possible that you will find yourself behaving more like a frightened animal than a rational human being. The Stoics call this an instance of pathos, a negative emotion. Most importantly, the Stoics teach us that this bad emotion, this pathos that arises after our scent to such a value judgment, is not the product of the original event itself. Instead, the negative emotion arises as a result of assent to the judgment about that event. If you had stopped with assent to the impression of immediate danger and braked accordingly, the negative emotion would not have arisen. Your parasympathetic nervous system would have quickly countered your flight-or-flight response, and you would have returned to your former state quickly. Instead, your assent to the judgment to that driver as a jerk who somehow harmed you created a negative emotional response, and you are now disturbed. I learned a valuable lesson about this separation between judgments of actual events or reaction to actual events and the value judgments we place upon them about 20 years ago, long before I became a practicing Stoic. My older son was seven years old, and I happened to be driving him to school one morning. It was one of those mornings when I was in a rare state of psychological bliss. Nothing could bother me. As we were driving, another driver cut me off, forcing me to brake quickly so as not to hit his car. Interestingly, though, I didn't have any reaction to the car. I observed the car cutting me off. I braked, and that was it. I let it go. Everything was fine until suddenly I heard a voice. A person shouted, Moron! I know what you're probably thinking, but that shout didn't come from the other driver. It came from my back seat. It was my seven-year-old son. He had been a witness to this sequence of events enough times in the past that he sensed that something was missing. He somehow felt obligated to contribute the value judgment that he saw his father typically contribute, which I that morning did not. Somehow for him, the cosmos just was not right unless dad called that driver a moron, and since I didn't do it, he felt obligated to do it. Needless to say, even as a non-Stoic, that event gave me some things to chew on. But what do we do when the stakes of the event are higher? How do we discipline ourselves not to react to a sense that have much higher stakes? It is one thing to withhold assent from a value judgment that a driver has cut you off did you any harm. However, withholding assent from value judgments about a termination letter from work, the discovery that your partner has been unfaithful, bad news from the doctor, or the death of a loved one, may seem to be another thing entirely. These events appear to belong to a different category. The Stoics, however, disagree. Properly understood, none of these events can harm our soul. They are morally indifferent to the Stoic. Some people mistakenly interpret this aspect of Stoicism and consider it repugnant or even pathological to view the loss of a loved one, as an example, as a, quote, indifferent. In fairness, apart from the holistic system of Stoic philosophy, such criticism is understandable. This highlights the interdependent nature of all three fields of study in Stoicism and demonstrates how abandoning the Stoic worldview can cause the system to lose its coherence and become unintelligible and unrealizable. The key to Stoic practice is the separation of our scent to the events that occur in nature 
from our value judgments about those events. On the one hand, Stoicism teaches us to live in agreement with nature, and that includes all the events in nature. In fact, Epictetus teaches us, don't seek that all that comes about should come about as you wish, but wish that everything that comes about should come about just as it does, and then you will have a calm and happy life in Chiridion 8. However, assent, agreement with the events of nature, does not include assent to value judgments that we almost unconsciously and involuntarily attach to those impressions of the events. The Stoic spiritual exercises are aimed at that goal. They teach us to agree and even to love the events of nature without agreeing with the accompanying value judgments about those events. The events of nature simply happen, and they are neither good nor bad for our moral character. It is only our response to those events that affect our moral character. In episode 5, I offered the meme, Attention, Not Perfection. That was to serve as a reminder to get us back on the Stoic path when we stumble and fail to live up to the perfect ideal of the Stoic sage. Now I want to offer another meme that I think is worth keeping close at hand, and that is this, Ascent to the event, not the value judgment. Again, Ascent to the event, not the value judgment. Now that we have a basic understanding of ascent, let's turn to the actual discipline of ascent and learn some Stoic techniques that will allow us to separate our agreement with the events of nature from any accompanying value judgments. How we deal with impressions is entirely up to us. We cannot control the impressions that press upon us. However, we are in complete control of our reactions to those impressions. What we assent to, what we agree with, creates our moral character and determines our psychological well-being. The importance of assent within Stoicism cannot be overstated. Cornell University professor Tad Brennan, in his book The Stoic Life, suggests that assent is the linchpin of the Stoic system, and he writes, Every difference that there can be between one person's psychology and another person's psychology can be accounted for entirely in terms of the pattern of assents that they each make. That's a profound idea. With the importance of assent to impressions in mind, I want to highlight a three-step process for dealing with impressions. This comes from Epictetus' Discourses 2.18, and if you deploy it regularly when you are confronted with significant impressions, it will help you take control of your responses to things and events in nature. Each time an impression presses itself upon you, follow these three steps. Stop it. Strip it bare. See it from a cosmic perspective. You can think of this as stop it, strip it, see it. That's the easy way to memorize it. Throughout the discourses in Enchiridion, Epictetus teaches us that we have complete control over our ascent to impressions. In this passage, he provides us with great advice for dealing with those impressions. He tells us that each time we are confronted with an impression, we should say to it, Wait a while for me, my impression. Let me see what you are and what you're an impression of. Let me test you out, and then don't allow it to lead you on by making you picture all that may follow, or else it would take possession of you and conduct you wherever it wants, but rather introduce some fine and noble impression in its place, and cast out the impure one. That's the overall process. Now let's take a look at this step by step. The first step is to stop. Stop it. Stop the impression in its tracks. You need to think of this as a stoic roadblock for impressions, a roadblock that's set up right outside or right at the gate, I should say, of your inner citadel. 
in the first part of this passage that I just read from Epictetus, he teaches us to stop it in its tracks when he says, wait for a while, my impression. Let me see what you are and what you are impression of. Let me test you out. Now, obviously, we cannot control the things and events that are causing those impressions. Those are things that are outside our control. When we stop it, we are not attempting to control the external world. That is the road to having a troubled mind. Instead, we're stopping the almost automatic and frequently unconscious internal process of attaching a value judgment to that impression. So again, imagine a roadblock with guards that check vehicles before they enter a secure area. What are they looking for? They're looking for bombs and other dangerous items that can do serious damage once they are on the inside. Now that is exactly how we should conceive of this stoic roadblock for impressions. The sense impression is going to press itself upon us whether we like it or not. However, we can stop that impression before it enters the inner citadel of our soul, and we can check it out. We can check it out for explosive and dangerous value judgments. What do we do when we find those value judgments? Well, that's step two. We strip it bare. We remove those value judgments from the bare impression. That brings us to the second part of the passage in Discourses 2.18, where Epictetus advises us, don't allow it to lead you on by making you picture all that may follow, or else it will take possession of you and conduct you where it wants. If we allow value judgments through the gates of our inner citadel, with those impressions, they can do untold damage there. As Stoics, we must remind ourselves that no thing or event is either good or bad in itself. It is our thinking about those events and those things that make it either good or bad. In Discourses 3.8, Epictetus teaches us to train ourselves each day to deal with impressions because they too put questions to us. Next, he offers several examples of things that we might consider good or bad, and he provides the correct assessment for those things from the Stoic perspective. That passage reads, The son of so-and-so has died. Epictetus' reply, That lies outside the sphere of choice. It is nothing bad. So-and-so has been disinherited by his father. That lies outside the sphere of choice. It is nothing bad. Caesar has condemned him. That lies outside the sphere of choice. It is nothing bad. He has been distressed by these things. That lies within the sphere of choice. It is something bad. He has endured it nobly. That lies within the sphere of choice. It is something good. Marcus Aurelius repeatedly reminds himself of this Stoic practice in his meditations. He writes, Say nothing more to yourself than what the first impressions report. You have been told that some person is speaking ill of you. That is what you have been told. As to the further point, that he has harmed you, that you have not been told. I see that my little child is ill. I see just that. I do not see that his life is at risk. And so in this way, always keep to first impressions and add nothing of your own from within, and then nothing bad will befall you. Or rather, add that you are well acquainted with everything that comes to pass in the world. Meditations 8.49 Additionally, Marcus wrote, Always consider exactly what it is that is creating an impression in your mind, and unfold its nature by analyzing it into its cause, its matter, its relation, and its natural duration, within which it must reach its cessation. Meditations 12.18 Marcus also recognizes that impressions of things we might consider good 
can be equally troubling if we allow ourselves to judge them positively. By doing so, we might create a desire for them. We will deal with that in detail in the coming episodes on the discipline of desire. Nevertheless, as Marcus understood, those desires are the result of our assents to the value judgments attached to impressions. Therefore, he reminded himself, when you have savories and fine dishes set before you, you will gain an idea of their nature if you tell yourself that this is the corpse of a fish and that the corpse of a bird or a pig or again, that fine Falernian wine is merely grape juice and this purple robe, some sheep's wool dipped in the blood of a shellfish. And of sexual intercourse, it is the friction of a piece of gut and following a sort of convulsion, the explosion of some mucus. Thoughts such as these reach through the things themselves and strike to the heart of them, allowing us to see them as they truly are. So follow this practice throughout your life, and where things seem most worthy of your approval, lay them naked and see how cheap they are, and strip them of the pretenses of which they are so vain. Meditation 6.13 So far we've covered the first two steps in the process. See it and strip it bare. Now we come to the final and frequently overlooked step, and that is to see it from a cosmic viewpoint. Epictetus concludes his three-step process in Discourses 218 with the following advice, but rather introduce some fine and noble impression in its place and cast out this impure one. So after we've stopped the impression, we've stripped it of its value judgment, Epictetus says we must attempt to see it from the cosmic viewpoint. This cosmic viewpoint is what Epictetus is referring to when he tells us, from everything that happens in the universe, it is easy to praise providence if one has within him two things, the faculty of taking a comprehensive view of the things that happen to each person and a sense of gratitude. For otherwise, one will either fail to recognize the usefulness of what has come about or else fail to be truly grateful if one does in fact recognize it. Discourses 1.6.1-2 This is the Stoic moral attitude. The Stoic is able to praise everything and all events because they accept that these proceed from a providentially ordered cosmos. Marcus expresses this attitude beautifully in one of my favorite passages, where he writes, Everything suits me that suits your designs, O my universe. Nothing is too early or too late for me that is in your own good time. All is fruit for me that your seasons bring, O nature. All proceeds from you, all subsists in you, and to you all things return. Meditations 4.23 When we stop impressions, strip them of their value judgments, and learn to see them from the perspective of the cosmos, we are immune from their harm. How can that be? Well, it can only be so when we trust, as the ancient Stoics did, that all events in nature have some greater purpose, some greater purpose that we may not understand. Yes, I fully realize that sounds like religious faith. However, before you judge it, consider the alternative. If the universe is truly a fortuitous accident, then how can we ascend to anything beyond a grin and bear it attitude, beyond bear and forbear? However, the Stoics did not stop at bear and forbear. They teach us to love the events in nature and to wish that they occur just as they do, rather than as we would want them to occur. You may not like this aspect of Stoicism. As I pointed out in Episode 3, I did not like the concept of a providential cosmos when I had first encountered it. 
Nevertheless, I will tell you from personal experience that it does make a tremendous difference when it comes to Stoic practice. You can set it aside and practice many of the ethical principles of Stoicism without it. However, that is not the way the ancient Stoics conceived of Stoic practice, and your mileage may vary as you attempt to travel the Stoic path absent a trust in a providential cosmos. The truth is, is that the Stoics relied very deeply on the providential cosmos for their own psychological well-being. Again, in this final step of the three-step process offered by Epictetus, he tells us to cast out the impure value judgment and to introduce some fine and noble impression in its place. Now, what does that mean? Well, Epictetus is telling us to assume that things and events, no matter how awful they may appear to us initially, may have a different meaning when they are viewed from the perspective of the cosmos. I have always been impressed with the stories of apparent tragedy that transform people and set them on a path to heroic lives. Epictetus provides us with a great example of this. His life of slavery could be viewed as humiliating, degrading, and inhumane, or it can be viewed as the vehicle that Providence used to turn him into the powerful teacher of Stoicism who continues to inspire us and help us live excellent lives Nearly two millennia later, if Epictetus had not been a slave, his intellect may have gone unrecognized. He may never have been afforded the opportunity to study under the Stoic teacher, Musonius Rufus, if it was not for his masters recognizing his potential. Even if he was able to study there as a free man having not been enslaved, his teachings would lack the same power. When Epictetus warns us about being slaves to externals, we can trust that he knows what he's talking about. He lived as a slave. Therefore, his teaching carries weight it would not have otherwise. There are many such stories of people who choose to turn apparent tragedy into a source of inspiration that leads them to heights of human excellence that they may never have achieved had circumstances been as they would have wished them to be rather than as they were. That is what Epictetus is encouraging us to do. After we stop the impression and strip it bare, we must replace the value judgment that will create psychological angst with one that is compatible with our goal of developing our moral character. The rude driver, stripped of the value judgment, can become an opportunity to test our discipline of assent. The termination letter from a job may force us out of our comfort zone and into something life-changing. The discovery that our partner has been unfaithful may provide us with an opportunity to practice forgiveness, or to move on and find a faithful soulmate. Bad news from our doctor may provide us with motivation to change an otherwise unhealthy lifestyle, or the opportunity to truly consider the transient nature of our existence. There is no challenge that has not been overcome by someone in human history. Those who accept life's challenges, even the most extreme challenges, as opportunities for growth rather than disabling tragedies, are always better for it. That is the lesson of Enchiridion 1. External events cannot harm us. Only that which is within our control can actually harm us. And the only thing that is completely within our control is our faculty of choice. We choose the interpretation of events to which we assent. The value judgments we normally assent to may be greatly conditioned by our culture, our family, our education, the trials and tribulations of our lives, etc., etc. However, those value judgments are still within our control. No one can force our faculty of choice, and it is only when we take complete control of that faculty that we can be truly free. As Epictetus repeatedly teaches, 
until we take control of our scent to value judgments. We will remain slaves to our desires. In that state, we have more in common with animals than we do with rational humans. It is our faculty of choice, given to us by nature, that allows us to navigate the world as human beings. We share the faculties of impression and impulse with animals. However, the faculty of assent is uniquely human and makes us morally responsible for our sense to impressions that create our desires and lead toward impulses to action. The impression, desire, impulse to act behavior pattern of animals becomes impression, assent, desire, and impulse to act in humans. Nevertheless, we humans often behave as animals precisely because we fail to align our portion of the Logos, which resides within us, with the Logos in nature. We fail to live as excellent human beings in agreement with our human nature and cosmic nature. As Epictetus taught, since these two elements have been mixed together in us from our conception, the body, which we have in common with the animals, and reason and intelligence, which we share with the gods, some of us incline towards the kinship that is wretched and mortal and only a few of us toward that which is divine and blessed. Discourses 1.3.3 Therefore, the discipline of ascent involves more than vigilant attention and deliberate analysis of all impressions. It requires recognition of our kinship with the divine. It requires our trust in the events of nature. As you go about your day, you will inevitably be confronted by impressions of things and events that you would normally consider either good or bad. When those impressions force themselves on you, remember to stop it, strip it bare, see it from a cosmic viewpoint. You are the person you are because of the ascents you have already made to past impressions. It's time to stop being a slave to impressions. It's time to take control of your faculty of choice and begin the process of remaking it. In Discourses 1.1, Epictetus teaches us that the faculty of choice has the ability to change itself. You can choose to think differently about things and events. You can begin the process of transforming yourself by changing the way you think about things and events in life. This will also involve dredging up some ascents to value judgments that you made in the past. Bring those impressions to mind and then tell them to stop. Then strip those impressions bare of that old value judgment and try to see it from the perspective of the cosmos. If you practice this three-step discipline of ascent regularly, you will set your Stoic practice on fire. Thank you for listening to the Stoicism on Fire podcast. If you're interested in this ancient practice of Stoicism, you will find plenty of resources at www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you're interested in a social media environment where this form of Stoicism is discussed, please join us on Facebook the traditional stoicism group if you enjoyed this podcast please consider leaving a positive review on the platform where you listen to this podcast that tells others this podcast is worth listening to and thereby introduces more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the stoics if you have feedback or a great podcast idea for me send me an email at chris that's c-h-r-i-s at traditional stoicism.com until next time i hope you will continue exploring traditional stoicism where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire. <laughs>